This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'm Matt Addison with Paul Gorse, David Lynch and Sean Bradbury alongside me this afternoon. Plenty of stuff to get stuck into. Jordan Henderson's contract, priorities with other new deals, the latest on transfers, some pre-season games being lined up at Anfield. All of that is to come over the next half an hour or so on what should be a jam-packed edition of the podcast. Ghosty, I'll come to you first. Jordan Henderson's contract has kind of gone a little bit under the radar up until today. He is inside the last couple of years of his deal, but lots of speculation to, to get stuck into. First and foremost, so what do you make of the situation that, that seems to be unfolding? Mm, interesting one, isn't it? Um, the initial thoughts were a bit of a storm in a teacup, and the initial piece, which came out this morning from the Athletic, um, I thought was almost a typical um, thing where a lot of it was taken out of context. And next thing you know, you've seen Henderson linked to PSG and Atletico Madrid, and the fan base are in a little bit of a meltdown. And I thought that is, is, seems to be the situation here. You know, he's got two years left on his contract. and Probably not the type of character to ever agitate for a move or anything like that. Um, so, and if you thought that was the case, and then you see a few other reports coming out from journalists who are known for the fact that are really close to, to Jordan actually, and I think maybe this is you know a little bit more to it than perhaps I initially thought. Um, I don't for one second think that Henderson's going to be leaving this summer. He's got two years left on his contract, um, and I think I, I mean I don't know this to be true, but just reading in between the lines, possibly what um, I feel that this might be is Henderson's got, I say, a couple of years left on his contract, and he might know or be reading reports of um, a whole host of other players in line for new contracts. You know, we we've written about it across the course of the summer, haven't we? Fabinho and Allison, Van Dijk, Salah, Trent, Andy Robertson, um, and maybe he's looking at it thinking, well, I'll be 33 by the time my contract's up, perhaps. I could be or should be in line for renewed terms and maybe just a, another extra couple of years security and, and maybe that is what this boils down to. But I don't, I don't, I don't know really. It's difficult because I think Henderson is never is not the type to rock the boat. Um, so maybe this is all being done through his representatives and you know talk behind the scenes and so on. But it's a very interesting one, which I don't think anyone um, would have ever seen coming. You know, what are we on now? It's about 12 hours ago, shall we say, and it's um, it's all uh, throwing a few things up in the air. Yeah, it's certainly not something we expected David to be talking about today. It's kind of come a, a little bit out of the blue. And as Gorsty says, I mean, to, to lose Henderson this summer would be a bizarre one, not least because they've already lost Genie Wijnaldum this summer. To lose both of them in the space of one transfer window is surely unthinkable. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, it's it's sort of, as you said, really, in the, in the intro about the idea that Henderson's contract has gone under the radar in comparison to some others is absolutely right in terms of, you know, that that was almost a, a clue, really, wasn't it? That, that, that things aren't quite right in terms of negotiations there. You know, for example, Fabinho and Alisson, we expect those to basically a case of them putting pen to paper when they, when they get back to pre-season. Obviously, a little bit delayed because of Copper America, but I think those are quite far down the line. Those are the first couple of contracts they expect to get signed. And Henderson really hasn't even been mentioned in the group behind that. You know, we, we talked about Van Dijk and, and Salah and how important it is to get them tied down. But Henderson, yeah, he hasn't really got a mention. And I think, you know, the most sort of damning line in there 
um, in, in terms of some of the reports is, is the idea that the contract talks had already started and, and that Henderson's representatives weren't happy with what's been put down. So that suggests there is a real issue. This is, you know, is quite a big issue, something, you know, problem that Liverpool have got to solve and, and for the players to think or to feel, or at least his representatives uh, to feel that they need to put this information out there to sort of put a bit of pressure on Liverpool is, is slightly worrying considering he's, he's the club captain, he's achieved so much, he's such an influential figure in the dressing room and also an absolutely top-class player, which I think you know sometimes doesn't get mentioned amid all the talk around how big an influence he is around Liverpool. He is a, an absolutely phenomenal player. And a player, by the way, who I think, you know, I know he's, he's 31 now and, and with, you know it becomes a bit difficult, doesn't it, to agree contracts when you get to that age because of, you know, you're essentially giving him a contract for a, a period of decline um, and that, that makes it tricky. But I think he's a, a player with the skill set in terms of controlling football matches that, that, you know, extends beyond, you know, even if he loses a little bit of mobility, he can do that exactly what Gerard did in terms of that deeper role and control in football matches, you know. I'm not comparing him to, say, Luka Modric or Tony Kroos, but, for example, they're two players who've, who've used their intelligence to sort of mask a lack of pace later in the career, and I really think Henderson is, is capable of doing that. So, it's yeah, it's, a, it, it's, it's not great for Liverpool for, for these stories to be out there because there's been a disagreement there and now it's been made public. I think, you know, what you've seen from the reaction is that it's worked. If, you know, if you're Henderson's representatives, you're, you're looking at the, the fan reaction there and thinking that it was worthwhile doing this. And I think FSG are now under massive pressure to, to sort of fix that impasse and, and make sure they get this tied up because I just don't think they can afford, not just in terms of losing Henderson for what he brings on and off the pitch, but in terms of what that would do to their reputation among Liverpool supporters. I just don't think they can afford to lose him. Yeah, we talk so much, Sean, about his influence off the pitch, on the pitch, captaincy, leadership. Has he almost been taken a little bit for granted in that regard? Do you think it, it was almost just assumed that, that he would stay? Yeah, quite possibly. I think that comes into it. But I think, like the guys have said, that what I'd point to there is just the amount of players who in 2023 have their contract expiring. And, and that's where I have some sympathy with the club and the people who are sitting around the table and doing these negotiations and coming up with the order of priorities, because it's not just Henderson, is it? It's, it's Salah, it's Mane, it's Van Dijk, Fabinho. I think there's a couple of others. There's, there's Oxlade-Chamberlain, Cater maybe, who, whose deals expire in a couple of seasons' time. So <laughs> that's, that's not an enviable task, is it, to sit there and decide, well, who do we negotiate with first? What's the kind of top level of salary reset? What are the expectations? What what happens to the guys who are a little bit further down the pecking order? So I think like like Gorty said as well, this the fact that this has become public, you know, you, you do see this happen, don't you? You see agents and representatives and, you know, people kind of on the peripheries of situations put stuff out into the public domain through whatever means to to try and, you know, favour favor an agenda. Um I, I, I just don't for a minute think that that's the type of person that Henderson is. But the fact that it's got to this stage does suggest that it is a bit of an issue. But I think when you see it from, to flip it and look at it from Henderson's perspective, you know, he is 31 now. Every season that ticks by, his hand is probably a little bit weaker in terms of getting a decent deal through. And I think, you know, if, if, I, if I was Henderson's agent and he's got a job to do, hasn't he? As, as every single agent does, I know sometimes they're not the most popular figures with fans and and those who, who assess the game, but if they look at what happened with Wijnaldum and how Liverpool played hardball and seemingly from the outside at least didn't budge on the situation, were quite firm on what they were willing to do. And obviously we all saw how that played out. 
if you look at the fact that, you know, a midfielder there, though, has just left. You look at the fact that Henderson's stock is high. You look at the fact that if he was to leave this summer, which I agree with, of course, I don't think that's going to happen, but you'd be losing another member of the leadership group and the foremost one at that, you know, the club captain. If you take all that together, I can see why, from the Henderson perspective, forcing the issue a little bit now, it's perhaps the right thing to do, you know, to, to try and get a contract through that would see him stay at Liverpool for the rest of his career. And, you know, that would not be without justification. Like the guys have said, he's, he's a Liverpool legend, isn't he? He's been an absolutely incredible captain. I'd say he's got an argument now to perhaps be the greatest captain of of, mod, of the modern Liverpool era with with the obvious inference that that, uh, that that carries in terms of Gerrard. You know, he's been a, a fantastic servant and wouldn't be surprised if there was a statue of him outside Anfield one day. But, yeah, it's, it's just so difficult, isn't it? You know, as much as you want to see that loyalty and that quality of, of Henderson rewarded and someone who's just such a positive influence on the pitch and off it, you, you never really want to see them leave. But at the same time, you know, FSG have got other priorities and other perspectives, haven't they? You know, that their priority is, is Liverpool and, and what happens around the squad and sentiment and emotion are things that are obviously integral to football and, and fandom. But on the in the cold light of the kind of business environment where these financial decisions get made, it, it, it is very, very difficult. So, yeah, I can I can kind of see from both perspectives as to how it's got here. Um it's going to be very, very interesting to see how it plays out. Just, just to come in, sorry, on, on, on Sean's point about a lot of contracts expiring in, in, in the same summer and that being sort of unfortunate. To be honest, I think FSG should sort of carry the can for that a little bit. I think that's, you know, we talk a lot, don't we, about how good they are in terms of the planning. But this summer's been coming a long way away. You know, this this is they put themselves in this situation. You know, I know some of the renewals. For example, I think I'm right in saying Sadio Mane signed is in the middle of a season, but it was agreed that it would begin at the end, so that it would run to the summer because they wanted contracts to run in that way. So there was no sort of, you know, contracts weren't disjointed and they could deal with them every summer. So they basically put themselves in this situation, is ensuring that everyone's contract ended at the same time, and they would have to make some really tricky decisions. They obviously made one already with, with Genie Wijnaldum in terms of his expiring this summer and not extending beyond that. Um, and, and so, yeah, they've, they've sort of put themselves in this situation. I think, you know, for, a, for an organisation that we, we talk so much about how meticulous they are and how much planning they do, I think that's, you know, a little bit of sloppiness, to, to be honest, and they, they've put themselves in this situation. How much do you think that the situation, Ghosty, of Genie Wijnaldum would have played into this from Henderson's sort of perspective? I suppose he's got that example to say, well, it's not always the case that the ones that you think would be obvious would actually get these deals. Yeah, I think so, definitely. I think that was a big example, isn't it? You know, was one of his closest teammates and a player who was so important and vital to live through last season. And Henderson's looking at it one step removed. I'm not, you know, we don't know how kind of privy Henderson was to the, the negotiations with Wijnaldum and, and his team, but everything that, that Wijnaldum said about that particular you know, the way it was handled, very cryptic and, and coy. So maybe Henderson was looking at it thinking um, it might have been a no-brainer at one point and he's ultimately ended up leaving on a free transfer and thinking, well, if it can happen to him, it can happen to me. Um, and there's an argument to be made that perhaps Henderson's probably a little bit more kind of up the pecking order, if, if you like. But um, I, I do think that that might, might have some kind of sway in his thinking at the moment. And also, you've got to look back in terms of how he was given the captaincy and how Stephen Gerrard's exit was handled. You know, that just kind of was announced like three months before the end of the season, wasn't it? 
um, back in 2015, and then Gerard kind of just limped to a bit of a meat conclusion to a, an otherwise, you know, iconic career, and maybe he could have played another year at Liverpool, and, and I think he's gone on record as saying that himself, you know, if he would have stuck to his guns or, or you know, signed the one-year contract, he would have played under Klopp. Um, so maybe those two are the big striking deals that, are look, you know, Henderson's looking at thinking, you know, if if the, if this can happen to, to Steven Gerrard and Gino and Aldum, then why would I be immune to a similar fate? So so possibly, yeah, that's, that's one way of looking at it. But um, yeah, I, I, I'm not I'm not um, too concerned of, of the prospect of Henderson leaving this summer. Do you think Sean there's a kind of obviously you you mentioned Steven Gerrard yourself there before there's there's going to be that in in his mind as well there is a kind of precedent for for FSG making these sorts of decisions not necessarily this summer but if Henderson was to to run his contract down for example he'd be sort of 33 34 at, at that point I mean as you said before it, it does kind of make a little bit of business sense they would argue that it, it sort of makes sense in terms of the wider transfer strategy trying to you know, upgrade the squad and, and keep you know everybody happy, everybody young, and, and that sort of thing. Does this kind of work into to that wider thing? Do we sort of look at it with a little bit too much emotion attached to it? Almost. I think so. There's an element of that. I mean, look at it, captains. You know, you could probably go back a lot further than Gerard in terms of looking at Liverpool captains who didn't see out their career at the club. I mean, it's a very very tough ask, that isn't it? If you're a Liverpool captain, obviously coming with that is the fact that you're a very, very good footballer. But also, you know, you're a very, very proud one. And when it gets to the stage where you might not be playing week in, week out, um, you know, other midfielders perhaps are coming in to give you competition, which I think is, that's a key thing, isn't it? Surely, before Henderson's contract does run out in its existing form, Liverpool will have beefed up their midfield a little bit because he's not the only only aging midfielder in the squad, is he? You know, there's, there's Milner, there's Thiago, there's the, the kind of core, apart from Fabinho, the, the core players who you're expecting 30-plus Premier League appearances from every season are getting on a little bit. But yeah, going back to the captaincy point, you know, Suey, Phil Neal, Emlyn Hughes, they, they all left, didn't they? Arguably kind of in their prime and they still had, you know, time to give on the pitch and, and Gerard was the same. And I think it, it just points to how difficult a decision it is all round, really. You know, do you, do you stay and kind of fade out a little bit and potentially in this circumstance to do so on a, on a salary that would be a little bit less than you might get if you go elsewhere? Or or do you push for that move and, and go and try something different? I think just the one album point, though, is, is the comparison I focus on here. And it's difficult saying this, but I'm I'm more worried right now about one album leaving and the state that that leaves Liverpool in than I would be about Henderson's contract running down, if that makes sense. Because, you know, Liverpool right now, I've got so many minutes to replace in terms of Genie Wijnaldum. And like, like we said before, it's... It remains to be seen whether a midfielder comes in. I mean, at the very, very least, the plan has to be put in place as to how you're, you're getting 3,000 minutes from the current squad. And, you know, I'd, I'd be, if, if it was up to me, there definitely would be a midfield signing, and I'd imagine there will be. But, yeah, I mean, Henderson, if, if he was to go or to push for a move, that's, that's obviously the worst possible situation. But I think it strikes me a little bit as these conversations are guided by the Wine Album. You know, situation and how that played out. Because would this be happening now if the Wine Adam situation hasn't happened? I'm not sure because this, this is happening a little bit earlier than than all the chat about Wine Adam. You know, and, and his situation really kind of reached reached a crescendo, didn't it? So, 
We will see. Um, but yeah, there's, there's no doubt he is still a very important player. I mean, think back to last season. We were all desperate to see that midfield, weren't we, of Fabinho, Thiago and Jordan Henderson. And that's the one you want to see in the friendlies and at the start of this season when everyone's fit to get Liverpool off to the best possible start. So, yeah, a, a real dilemma. And I'm, I'm, as I said before, I'm not envious of those who are involved in sorting it out. Yeah, it's a difficult one, isn't it, Lynch? I mean, the fact that Paris Saint-Germain and, and Atletico Madrid are being linked with him just sort of reminds you of that point that he is an elite level footballer. And if he was to be lost, and obviously he will be at some point because he's not going to be around forever, it, it will be a difficult player to replace. It's not just a case of, oh, well, we need to, to sort of freshen things up. Getting a player to do the same job as what Henderson does is actually a really hard task in itself. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think with the with the PSG and Atletico links, I do think you know you've, you've got to sort of see those as well as a little bit of you know I've no I've no doubt they they have some interest in, in a player of that quality, um, you know, and we'll be keeping tabs on it. But the sheer cost in terms of wages and, and transfer fee that would be expected to get Henderson out of Liverpool as things stand with two years left on his contract, uh, you know, I'm not sure how much how, how big the likelihood is that they would follow up on that interest. I think that's slightly then being used as as leverage, but. He, you know, you're absolutely right to say that he's that level of midfielder, and that Liverpool to with to you know resign themselves to losing him this summer, it would be a huge you know deficit in the squad they have to fill. Not only the fact that, as Sean points out rightly, that, that you know replacing Genio Wijnaldum is is hard enough in itself, just in terms of pure availability, and that, you know I think it just underlines how important it is that Liverpool do something in that position in terms of the transfer market because you know they're already missing one huge leader and, and, and quality player in there. So yeah. To, to lose another would just be absolutely devastating. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Let's move on a little bit then, Gorsi, to a few of the other sort of situ- uh, a few of the other players, I should say, who are in a similar situation to Henderson. That long list that Sean referenced before, as well as Henderson, you look at Van Dijk, Salah, Mane, Firmino, Fabinho, Chamberlain, and Cater, all in that same situation of having two years left. I mean. The sort of wording from the reports this morning was that Henderson isn't necessarily a priority. And from that perspective, you'd look at, say, Van Dijk and Salah in particular. And that does kind of make it a little bit of sense from Liverpool. Yeah, possibly. I think, I don't know whether it's just Henderson's been overlooked because it's, it's always just going to be assumed that he's going to be staying. Um, and Liverpool be wary of, of making that mistake. And certainly with the stories that have come out today, maybe this might just give them a little bit of a kick up the backside if that was the intention. Um, but also, I think because Henderson's been around for, for 10 years, you know, he, he was literally just celebrated his 10 year anniversary at the club, hasn't he, last month? Whereas you, you think about Van Dyke and you think about Salah and Allison, and, and these are all relatively new players, aren't they, in the eyes of Liverpool fans? You know, three years at, at most. Allison was signed, what was it, three years today? So, um, yeah, maybe that is part of the thinking and maybe Liverpool have got a kind of batch of players that you want to get resolved and then they'll move on to you know a second batch and maybe Henderson's in that. We don't really know, do we? All we know is what we understand to be true at the moment that Liverpool are targeting the likes of Fabinho and Alec and say. But um, yeah, maybe this is the kind of um, Henderson's way of... of uh, I don't know. Reluctant to use the phrase "rock the boat" because he's not that type of, of person. But maybe this is just his way of uh, floating a little reminder towards the club and, and the people who make these decisions. That look, um, these players aren't the only ones with um, 
just a couple of years left on their own deals. I'm still here. I'm the captain, and perhaps I need to be uh, moving up the the, uh, the priority list a little bit. Um, and if that is the case, and it does kind of get resolved as a result, then you have to say that probably the, the right decision, isn't it? But um, yeah, it's uh, it'll be an interesting one to to keep an eye on anyway. But when you know all, all the other players are um, signing their contracts as expected in the next, you know. Month, two months, however long it takes. In terms of the the sort of order of it, Sean, do you think maybe there's a, a case that, for example, Mohamed Salah might be one that happens a little bit later on because you'd imagine he'd set a precedent in terms of of how much it it might cost, and then that obviously has knock on effects for for other players as well. Is the the kind of well, there, there is undoubtedly a much bigger job this summer because Liverpool have left it so long with all of these players. But is there a kind of order that they have to do these things in order to make it cost-effective almost? Yeah, I think that there's the cost-effective factor. But also, I just think, if you look at, you know, fairly recent recruitments of the forward line, obviously Jota's come in. So you could argue that he's the first one of the next generation to have been brought in. In defence, you know, aside from Van Dijk, um, and, and, you know, I suppose Matip as well. It, it's relatively young, isn't it? Kanate's come in as well, and, and, and that, that, that's excellent. That's a player for now and also for the future. I mean, I, I can see why where this come out saying Fabinho is is right up there now in terms of the immediate priorities, because realistically, he's your midfield linchpin, isn't he, for the next two or three seasons or hopefully beyond. You know, he's only, what, 27? So you can see why you'd want to get him done. I think Alisson as, as well would be right up there as, you know, for my money, probably the best goalie in the world, you know, someone for whom Liverpool paid a world record fee. So I think, you know, yeah, it, to again go to the cost effectiveness, it, it's a difficult one, isn't it? And I always wonder how things play out in that regard in terms of the dynamics of a squad, because, you know, everyone must know that contract negotiations are happening. And, you know, it's obviously very public when people do sign a new deal. And managing that, I think, is a, is a whole different and very interesting psychological thing to, to happen within a football club. But, there's certain players, I'd say, for whom you can probably make the case that they could be an exception, you know, and Alisson would be one, I'd say, if he was paid a little bit more than most of the squad, they could probably deal with that. I think Salah would be another. Van Dijk, perhaps, you know, if if, if it comes to it and he gets a new deal, which everyone would want because he's another one whose contract runs out fairly soon. You know, they're, they're all there, but Henderson, it's just so difficult, isn't it? Because he... He's that little bit older than all these guys, isn't he? You know, people were talking about here, okay, Van Dyke's 30, isn't he? But Alisson, Mane, Salah are all 28 or 29. So I just think that that couple of years does put a totally different complexion on it. And, you know, from Liverpool's perspective, they can say to all those players, well, look what's just happened with Gini Wijnaldum. And that's that's them playing hardball at, the, at the, the other end of it and letting the deal run down. So, yeah, I'd say Fabinho, probably Salah, probably Alisson would be the ones that, if I was in that boardroom, I'd be looking to tie up ASAP. Who'd be your priorities, David? I mean, I think Van Dijk and, and Mane are two interesting ones. Mane in particular, after the season he had last season, maybe wasn't quite as good. But if he gets a, a new contract over the next couple of months, then I suppose that's Liverpool saying, well, we think he will be back to his best sooner rather than later. Yeah, I think that is an interesting one, isn't it? Because, you know, do Liverpool think that that decline was, was is, is going to sustain or, or do you think it really was just a blip with a really busy season in, 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 a, you know, in a team that was struggling? And is that the reason for his sort of slight, slight dip in form? You know, by the sounds of things, they, they, they don't think that at all. I think in terms of priorities um, out of all those contracts, I think Sean is right to mention the ages, really, in terms of 
because of Allison. I know he's a little bit older, but he, you can you can you know goalkeepers go on for for such a long time, don't they? That you can imagine him being a mainstay for if, even if you give him a five year contract, you can imagine him playing a, a huge part over each of those. I think Fabinho, with him being a little bit younger, is very similar. Salah. The shape he keeps him in, himself in, and the the form he showed last season doesn't doesn't show any sort of signs of slowing down. So I know that you know that that really through the spine there is is where I think you, your priorities lie. And um, yeah, I think Mane is is probably one of the more difficult ones to judge. And I think that is where Henderson will be looking and saying, well, you know, I, I possibly did more than Mane last season in terms of my level of performance. I know he had that injury towards the end, but but didn't really drop off in terms of his performance level. Plus, he was filling in at centre-half and doing really well there. So, would maybe be looking at that and saying, well, you know, that's not quite fair that he would maybe be ahead of me in terms of priority and, you know, maybe would be justified in saying that. And so, perhaps that's why he's felt the, the need to sort of make a make a fuss almost and, and, and point out that he's, you know, he, he should be deserving of a contract too. I think the other interesting angle, Gorsi, that we've not mentioned as well is that Liverpool's wage bill is the second biggest in the Premier League behind only Manchester City. They've got all of these deals to do. It's it's a financial decision as much as, as anything else, isn't it, as well? I mean, I think it went up 15 million in the last accounts. You'd expect it would go up a significant amount more in the next set of results. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Uh, I'm not sure how much of that is obviously incentivised, but... Um, if it was, then Liverpool have been paying out quite a lot, haven't they? Because this seems to be quite successful over the last two years. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's a, um, a, that's an interesting aspect, isn't it? Because Liverpool don't pay the kind of fees regularly, at least that Manchester City pay and, and Manchester United and Chelsea. But um, then the, the, the wages are, are very comparable. Uh, I think it is the only City who pay more in, in wages in the Premier League. Um, and when you think of you know some of the money... United and, and Chelsea pay off. You know, look at the players who, who Chelsea bought last summer. They spent the best part of two hundred million. So that's going to bloat your wage bill, isn't it? And United seems to try and sign a superstar every window who's going to be on two hundred grand minimum. So um, yeah, Liverpool really in that high end for wages, and um, I suppose that helps when um, you're looking to bring a player in. You, you can kind of compete with um, with some of the big guns in the division and and in the you know, world football, but then the upshot of that is that Liverpool don't routinely pay the fees, do they? The transfer fees, if they're paying the wages. So, yeah, um, it's it's a, it's a tough one for Liverpool because, as we say, they're not kind of awash with cash with the way that the other three teams that we just mentioned seem to be. You know, City and Chelsea, it's obvious where their funds are coming from, but United is kind of from a sustained period of, of excellence across 20 years, isn't it, really? And, and that's why they're able to bring in the likes of, of the Sancho, um, you know, seemingly every summer, Liverpool have to work a little bit more strategically, think about things with a little bit of more um, clarity and, and a long-term thinking. But um, they shouldn't be taking their eye off the ball with the players who are already at the helm. And, and that seems to be something that they're wary of with the, the new contracts for whoever it may be. But um, perhaps Henderson thinks he, he should be in that conversation as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I Plenty just, sorry, Matt. Sorry, go on, mate. Go on. Go on. Sorry, I, I just think that's a, it's a really interesting test of FSG and their model this at the moment because I think they were perfectly suited to doing what they did, which was you know dragging Liverpool from outside the Champions League, uh, trying to make spark transfers, you know, picking up players just before they turned them into superstars under a manager who was capable of doing that, um, you know, bringing them in on wages which weren't superstar wages because they hadn't reached that level yet, and then obviously 
they got there, they got them into the Champions League, they got to the final, they kicked on, they won trophies, they won the Premier League as well. Um, and then, you know, started handing out contracts to keep hold of these superstars. Now, the big next test then is, OK, how do you start this process of building your next great team whilst you also want to sort of keep hold of these superstars? Do, you know, to do this part of the, the model, do you need a, a, to sell some of your big players? Does that have to happen for you to refresh the squad? Because you're not Manchester City, you're not Chelsea, you don't have, you know, endless limits of, to fund, transfer funds and, and, and ability to pay huge wages. So it's it's a really interesting test because if they, you know, Will they be able to renew all these contracts and and you know still keep that refreshing going? You know, bringing your next Diogo Jota, whether you know in midfield as well, and, and refresh there, bringing some some younger legs there as well, and and be able to keep your wage bill sustainable. I, I, you know, we we don't really know that yet. I, that that's why this summer is so interesting because you know they, they're trying to do both those things at once. It seems, um, and you know maybe why, that's why there's a little bit of discord there in terms of some of the negotiations because they realise that. Then that's extremely difficult to do. Yeah, absolutely. Plenty for Liverpool and FSG to think about. But just before we finish the podcast, we'll talk a little bit about some friendlies that are coming up. And Gorsty, I'll come back to you first. There's been some news of some Anfield friendlies being arranged today. What's the, the latest on that? Yeah, so two friendlies announced today. Liverpool are going to be playing um, Athletic Club Bilbao. Um, and then the uh, well, just a little over 24 hours later, going to be playing Osasuna, soon around the um, in a tribute to, to Michael Robinson, who obviously played for both clubs and, and sadly passed away last year. Um, not a kind of new new um, way of working. Liverpool did this in 2016, didn't they, when they played Barcelona at Wembley and beat them 4-0 and everyone was saying that they're going to win the Premier League. And then 24 hours later, got beat by Mainz by the same scoreline in Germany. So um, I think it's I think it's a case of basically Liverpool having such a big squad now with you know Klopp's up there with 36 players isn't he and going to be getting an extra three or four over the next couple of weeks. Um, keep, keen to to see as many of them as he can before uh, decisions are made and and um, you know the, the kind of final preparations are done with regards to the first game against Norwich on the 14th of August. But I think Liverpool are keen to. Um, Having a little bit of a test event as well, with you know, reopening the doors to Anfield to 75% crowd, um, which will be the biggest crowd at Anfield since March 2020 against Atletico Madrid. Um, and if you can do that, if you can do it on the Sunday against the Atletico, um, and then the Monday against Osasuna, then um, it'll give them a, a big chance of pulling that off without too many hitches when they come to host Burnley later that month. So, um, yeah, it's something that they've been keen to do. Get as many fans in as possible so fans get to see them in action. Uh, it's been a while, hasn't it, let's face it. And, um, yeah, they go from there. So, an extra two friendlies on the to-do list for Liverpool and uh, I think that that might be the, the last of their pre-season games. Yeah, a logistical test, if you like, Sean, for Anfield and, and all of the people who work there. But it'll be interesting for Liverpool and, and for Jurgen Klopp as well. I would imagine that players like Jordan Henderson, Thiago Alcantara, who've been late two pre-season training. That'll be a, a big couple of days for them potentially as well, just a, a week, of course, before the new season begins. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, it's been, it's been a, a little while coming, hasn't it, getting the, the final schedule announced, but now it's all there. Yeah, I think it's quite exciting. There's, there's lots of things to look forward to, and I think you're right, those the big guns kind of coming back into the squad um, is one. It, it's interesting, really, isn't it? Because I do think Liverpool have got quite an advantageous situation, and the fact that it's played out how it has with this month-long camp where a lot of other stars are already there and they've been there since the start, haven't they? And 
you know, for Kanate, obviously, is another one we're all excited to see. And potentially that'll happen this week, won't it, with these two little half-hour games and, and the others that are to come. Um, but it's just great, isn't it? it? It feels like, you know, certainly compared to last season, there's there's a, a proper bit of preparation time. You know, Klopp's got something that he himself has said he's never experienced before with this lengthy training camp. And then now we've got these games, particularly the ones at Anfield, to, to really look forward to. But yeah, just, just loads I'm looking forward to seeing. I'm looking forward to seeing Joel Matip as well after his uh, little dribble around Kanate and lovely finish the other day to see if we can get a bit more of that out of him. But yeah, just uh, everything really. Just the, I suppose, some of the players... Like so Wilson, Williams, you know, Grujic, uh, I suppose Origi, Shakiri, whether they feature or whether they don't, um, I'll be quite instructive as to what's going to happen with them, I suppose, over the next few weeks. Formations as well. I mean, I think one thing in terms of what we've been talking about with midfield and midfield recruitment, do wonder whether Liverpool might have a little look at 4-2-3-1. Um, you know, we only saw it for flashes last season, didn't we? But if if there isn't another midfielder coming in, I think that, that could be something that, we see a little bit more of. So, yeah, be keeping an eye on how the, the team shapes up as well in these friendlies. But, yeah, all of a sudden, plenty of football to look forward to, which is great. Yeah, absolutely. Two games on Tuesday night, Lynchy. Innsbruck and Stuttgart, 30 minutes each. Be interesting to see who's picked in those games, though, because you wouldn't imagine there would be loads of subs in those games. And with 34 players to pick from, it's a pretty big squad. Yeah, I think we can expect um, two two completely different sides just to give everyone that sort of first little run out in pre-season. Um, and I'll, I'll be interested to see if they allow fly goalie while it's just like little half an hour <laughs> games that we're doing, you know, sort of mix the rules up a little bit. But yeah, um, it, that'll be quite nice to see because I think, you know, the fact you are going to see two different teams, you're going to see two different sets of players, you know, see how everyone's getting on in terms of the sharpness. Um, and yeah, it's just like, you know, our, our first opportunity this summer to sort of clap eyes on the players again and, and see how they're warming up for the new season. So, uh, yeah, no excited to that. Any particular players that you think Gorsley would be particularly looking forward to, to Tuesday night's games? Is there, is there anybody there that needs to, to make an impression, particularly early on? No, I, I don't, actually. Uh, I think probably Joel Matup, if he, uh, as Klopp was saying the other day, he seems to be the one who's uh, made the most progress out of the, the three centre-backs. His injury, obviously, a few months after Van Dijk and and Gomez and perhaps a little bit less serious. So, uh, if we're looking to, to get some minutes under his belt, uh, Canate, um, he's going to make his debut in one of them, isn't he? So, he'll be looking forward to that, I'm sure. And then um, the likes of of Harvey Elliott and Matty Musilovsky and Kate Gordon, they'll be absolutely dying, won't they, to just uh, get the foot on the ball and, and get a few minutes and, and rub shoulders with the uh, some of the more senior stars. So, plenty to... Um, to keep us occupied, isn't it, over the, the next couple of weeks? It's a bit of a strange situation to back-to-back friendlies at half an hour each and then the, the one against Mainz is only an hour and then finally they, they play a 90 minutes against Hertha, don't they, before the end of the month. But, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see um, to, the, the two teams that line up in both of those games tomorrow and plenty, as I say, to, uh, to keep our eye on. Yeah, absolutely. Plenty for Liverpool to think about heading into next season and, of course, beyond that too. We'll bring you all of the details on transfers, contracts and much more as they come in across the summer and beyond, both here and across on the Liverpool's at Liverpool Echoes website too. From myself, Matt Addison, Paul Gorse, David Lynch and Sean Bradbury, though, until next time here on the Blood Red channel. Thanks for joining us and goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.